0: let's go ahead and open in prayer as we get ready to to go for the word. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. We ask you to bless it special and guide and keep us and show us what you would want us to see from this and help us to just learn. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the times when you go through the Bible chapter by chapter, you end up with some sections that are very hard to teach sometimes. We are in Genesis chapter 10. And Genesis chapter 10 is one of those books that is kind of hard uh, chapters to make interesting. (laughs) Uh, I find it very interesting it's a very academic uh, topic so today we're going to put uh, some PowerPoint slides for you to see. You see a map of the of the uh, Europe of northern Africa and Middle East there. We're going to be looking in chapter 10 is called the Table of Nations. This tells us where as Noah's children grew up and gave had children, where all did they go to? And we know and, and we know that they all went different directions. So you may get something out of this. Maybe you didn't know some of this stuff, and we're going to try to show you on a map where some of these things happened uh, as we go along. But first, let me read the chapter. It's one of these fun chapters to read, too. All names. <laughs> Genesis chapter 10, verse one. Now these are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were the sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Midian, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tirash. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rithoph, and Togarmah, And the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dutarim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizoram, and Phut, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, and S- Sabta, and Ramah, and Sabtaka, and the sons of Rahamah, Sh- Seba, and Ditan, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he became a mighty one in the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Achad, and Kalmech, and the land of Shinar, in the land of Shinar. Out of the land went forth Asher, and he built Nineveh, and the city of Rehoboth, and Kila, Kala. And risen be, between Nineveh and Kilad, the same is a great city. And Mizraim begat Ludim, and Ananimin, and Lahabin, and nath and Parashim, and him out of whom came the Philistine, and the kath torim and Canaan begat Sidon his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Gergesites, and the Hurvites, and the Arkites, and the Sinites, and the Avalites and the Zimalites and the Hamathites, And afterward, after the families of Canaanites spread abroad, and the border of Canaanites was Sidon, which uh, comes to Gerar and Geza unto the, and goes unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Amal, and Ziphanim, unto Lashah, Even these, these are the sons of Ham and his his families and their tongues and their countries and their nations. Unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the the elder, even to him were children born. The children of Shem, Elam, Asher, Aphrax, Lud, Aram, the children of Aram, Uz, Hul, Githar, and Mas. Ephrax begat Shelah, and Shelah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The names of the sons were Pe- Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Jochtan, And Jochtan began Almatad and Sheloth, and he- Hazarmath, and Jerah, and Hidaram, and Uzal, and Dikta- Diklah, and Obal, and Abelel, and Sheba, and Ophar, and 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 Juppah, all those sons were the sons of Joktan. And those dwelling in the Nisah, as goes into she- Shephar, the mountain in the east. These are the sons of Shem, after their families and their f- tongues, and in their lands, and after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in the nations, and by these were all nations divided in all the earth after the flood. This is a section where I really realize if you're like me when I was a teenager, and even into my young 20s, you go names. Okay, where's the stop? Okay. Um, But you know, these all have a lot of importance to them. If you listen to this list, there are names that you have probably heard, and we'll talk about some of them as we go on. Uh, you'll notice there is one section where I race through the names really easy because I talk about them all the time because they're all through the book of Joshua, Judges, and Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, they're all through those because they're the, they're the people of the Promised Land. So you kind of know the Jebusites, the Gergesites, the, the Amorites, you know, all these people that are the yites of that, <laughs> that land, and when you're reading off the list, they're people that we know really well. Uh, there are others that we'll kind of mention as we go along. Uh, but I want to show in this first part of this slide, Sam, click, in. there we go. All of the people in that northern part, those are the descendants of Japheth. Japheth moved to what we now know as Europe and to the western part of Russia. So these are, when we get down to his, his children, we'll be showing you where they settle a, as we go along. Next screen shows us where Ham's uh, people went to. Ham went into Africa and the Middle East. All right? Uh, the next one goes where Shem's people go. They include the Middle East and everything to the east of that, all the way to the Orient and into North America. Our Indians, Indian nations go through Shem because of their route through the varying, stra- varying things. Now, there's certain things that happen with each of these different groups. The, the line of Shem generally stayed godly and followed monotheism. Alright, so we find in all the places where Shem lives, at least in the ancient world, we find monotheistic religions. When Moses goes to Midian, which is right up at the end of the Persian Gulf area there, Midian was of the Shem line and they were monotheistic believers. Uh, Up until recently, most of the countries in the Far East were monotheistic even most of the Indians nations are monotheistic not all of them many of them get into ancestor worship but many of them follow the great God they recognize one one God so because of their roots into Shem they have the right roots to follow after God not saying they're following God but they have the right roots to be able to follow the one God so we're gonna look at this the next screen will tell us the children of Gomer All of those places, uh, Gomer is the son of Japheth and he has his children that go straight north. (laughs) Now many of you may have heard the term Magog in that list. Uh, Magog, if you have studied anything in the end time study, is one of the main places where the enemy of Israel will come down from. And And during my early years of life they kept telling me that Magog and Gog were Russia as a whole. May- Magog is right there in that center of that map. It's up by the Caspian Sea. It is central Russia. It is not where the northern part of that c- comes from. So just be aware, and I wanted to try to get these names in your heads a little bit so that when you hear these names, you can kind of get a feel for where things are. Uh, do I expect everybody to remember every place that every one of these names go? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, there to be a test on it next week. Everybody memorize it. <laughs> Um, so we look at this. The Javan people were the ones that ended up in Greece. All, right? all through northern, northern Turkey, we have Gomer, Tubal, Meshech. All of Japheth's all of descendants go through that, and they are ones that will go further in. All right, next one is him for S- Javan's people. So we're down one more generation here. Javan has these little places up in northern, if- uh, northern Turkey. Uh, that his his descendants will be into. So remember, they get off the ark. They're somewhere in the Mesopotamian ar- area. Okay, we're not going to argue at all. Well, history history tells us that civilization started in the Mesopotamian area. Somewhere on the mountains, outside of that area, they they settled and they came down off the mountain and settled between the two rivers, the Tigers and the Euphrates. All right. Why did they name them the Tigers and Euphrates? Because in Eden, the Tigers and Euphrates flowed out and they looked at it and said, this kind of reminds us of those old rivers. And they named them the same as what they had. This don't, Do not fall into, there are people that teach us, somewhere in that area is where Eden is. Who knows where Eden is? Eden was lost under, under water. <laughs> the whole world's to, uh, uh, topography changed after the flood. Eden probably does not does, uh, exist anymore. But they named those rivers just as we did in America. If you go all over America, you see cities named after city. You see rivers being renamed uh, back east. We have the River Thames, just like they do in England, and and you know it was the settlers coming from England and go. We want to. It looks kind of like the River Thames, so we're going to just call it the New Thames, you know. And it's so we have that. Don't think that that is where Eden was. You know, my personal belief is we don't know where it is. It could be at the bottom of one of our oceans, you know, because of the changing. But we see that. Javan's sons kind of went back. They they started out in Greece for him, and his sons went back toward, back toward where they where they were from. And as we look at them, we also end up with Javan telling us that next 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 one. Excuse me, I got ahead. Javan, his people took into Tarshish and Elishon, Tarshish, If anybody who's ever read the story of Jonah, you know that name of Tarshish. It is generally believed that it is the southern part of Spain. Some people have put it as far as England, but it's somewhere real far west of, <laughs> of, the, of the Promised Land. All right, uh, great silver mines and everything, which is why I don't think that it belongs in England. I think it probably belongs in Spain <laughs> because of what, they, what it's known for, silver and gold, not, and that's not what England is known for primarily. So we see his family moving out even further. Elisham becomes the followers of the seafaring people at that time. So they start getting all those little islands, all those islands through the Mediterranean and possibly even into northern Africa is his family. And the verse says that this is where the Gentiles divided the lands, everyone after his own tongue during that period of time. All right, next screen. Now we start looking at Ham. Ham's children move into the south. He has foot which is libya and today sometimes it just puts p-u-t put uh, he has the miserim which is the what's going to become the egyptian people he has cush or ethiopia so when you read these bibles these are terms you might want to be able to remember when you see the word cush they're talking about the ethiopians when they put put in there they're talking about the libyan area of the of the world they're all descendants of ham and so ham has his sons. Let me see where am I on my notes so I don't lose because I'm doing PowerPoint I can't lose. (laughs) All right, next screen Sam. Okay, then it says we get the sons of Nimrod, Havilah, Dedan, Sheba and Rema. They all are taking what we now know as the Middle East, Arabia. And they're on the northern part of that. And then we take this little side journey into Nimrod. Nimrod is an interesting character as we go forward. He builds the city of Babylon. He is the first man that's given the title king. And if you look him up in history, he's a very interesting character. He's nasty. He's mean. He enslaves people. He's the first one that we know of in history that starts doing human sacrifice. He builds all false religions, go back to Nimrod. He has a a pantheon of gods that's 30, uh, 66 gods in the, in, the, in the pantheon and he builds all false religions trace their roots back to him he has the story in his life of his son that, de- that supposedly dies for three days and comes back to life he gets angry at God and tries to go to war with God sound a little familiar Satan doesn't it this man was a what we would call an antichrist a follower of Satan completely and he is He's the one that pushes really hard. The other major character that is mentioned in here, we'll talk more when we get to him, is Eber. Eber is the last of the long-lasting patriarchs. He is going to be born after the flood. He is the, great, great, he's the great-grandson of Noah, and he is going to live, believe it or not, we'll find out in the next chapter, he's going to live long enough to have seen Joseph. He lives a long life. He and Nimrod are at battles with each other. Eber is having one God, follower of the one God. Nimrod is coming with everything against God. And there's a battle for their entire lives between those two individuals. Eber is the father of the Hebrew people. So all people that are of the line of Eber are Hebrews. Okay, which means that later on when Abraham is born, he is born hebrew all Jews will be Hebrews, but not all Hebrews are Jews. All right. So I just want to bring that up to you. The Hebrew people are ones that believe in one God, and they trace their line to Eber, which eventually traces his line back to Shem, and then they move east for 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 them. Now I know this is kind of boring; it's kind of just history, but I want to get you to get a feel for what's going on. There's a lot of things in this section that people look at and say this is interesting because they look at how the world spread out from one, one group of people. And we're gonna see all through this. When Moses, uh, when Jacob comes down to Egypt you know, and his son Joseph rescues him, if you remember, he says, don't tell them that you are Hebrew because the Egyptians hate Hebrews, okay? And that's long before they're settled up as a nation because he's saying, you're coming into a world that is monotheistic, that worship many gods, and they don't like the attitude of you Hebrews <laughs> with one God. And we always kind of trace the idea of one God back to Abraham, but one God goes back to Eber. So I want to help us out with that because the one God worship has been out there for a long time, but it just got ruined in the two lesser sons that didn't follow God after their, after their, after their heart. And remember, last week we talked, Ham goes in, sees his father naked, makes fun of him, tries to get his brothers to to take and partake with him, and his son Canaan is cursed, all right? But it's not just Canaan, Ham gets a curse on him, he's not a good, Ham himself is not a good guy, and his children are not gonna be good followers of God either. So we wanna just look at this, what's my next screen, show me, Sam, okay. Uh, we have Deccan having sons named Sheba and Deccan, and they go a little further into the Middle East. Next one. Oh, here's where I wanted Nimrod. <laughs> All right, Nimrod has Mesopotamian Valley, where Babylon sits even to this day. He's later, and we're going to talk about it in about two weeks. He's the one that builds the Tower of Babel. And he says, I'm going to reach God. Now most people kind of water down that statement that he was just trying to make a tower close to God, but when you get into the historical statements about him, he literally wanted to get to heaven and run his army into heaven to conquer God because he was angry with God. How many people have you met that got angry with God and they're ready to go to war with God? If they could get to heaven, they're ready to go to war with God, they think. This was Nimrod. He was one of the first ones to actually try to kill. His desire was to kill God. Now, the first one, of course, is Satan. He wanted to be equal to God. Nimrod is out to destroy God. He was out to destroy God's people. We talk about martyrs. Martyrs are not a new thing. Martyrs were not a new thing in the church. Martyrs are still happening today. There are millions of Christians being killed every year for just one reason. They're a Christian. There are places in this world that if you become a Christian, your life expectancy is about six months to a year. Even today. We don't hear about it very often in the news, all these people dying. But it happens all the time in our world. People are dying just because they're Christians. And we're seeing our world get more vicious and and vicious toward Christians and it's been my kick right now is that I really believe we're getting close to the end days and we need to get our hearts ready to face trials and tribulations. Paul said you know when we were talking to the Thessalonians he goes I told you the bad things were going to happen and sure enough they did. Jesus told them, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. The disciples over and over in the book of Acts said thank God I have been found worthy of suffering. In America we say oh my goodness I'm suffering what's wrong we do not have a biblical attitude towards suffering for God Paul said I bear the marks of Christ on my body he was beat he was burned he was he was chastised and he said I can show you. you want to see how much I love God and how much I've been persecuted let me just roll up my sleeves let me show you my back we in America have been spoiled because we've had it easy We've been blessed, but has the blessing been good for us? I'm not so sure sometimes that the blessing has been good for us. The world has suffered and it has suffered all the way back to Nimrod and probably even into before the flood when Noah was there because everyone's doing what was right in their own eyes and Noah could not convince anybody in 120 years to get on the boat with him and his family and those animals. Preached for 120 years and nobody listened. And you kind of know, we know what it's like to preach in our day, how many people were making fun of him. How many people were making it hard on him to get anything done. We get to Nimrod and they're back to actually act creating sacrifices. And, I'm, and there's no proof to this, but I would guess that most of the human sacrifices were Shemites. <laughs> and followers of Eber, Hebrew people. Say, well, these guys are going to try to get, stop us. We're going to just put them on. We're going we're to kill them. Nimrod was called a mighty hunter before God, and that was not just because he was a good hunter of animals. He hunted men and women in history. He was a very vicious person, and he is right there. He builds Babel. His son will build will build Asher and Nineveh, all of these areas that we have very famous people in. You know, the next big mention of Babylon, it's been around for a long time, but the next big mention in the Bible will be when Nebuchadnezzar comes and he conquers the children of Israel and drags them all to Babylon. There is a last statement in that section in verse uh, 10 where it says, All of these were in the land of Shinar. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the word Shinar, but it's in the book of Daniel several places. He was praying one day and he saw the angel standing across the Euphrates and on the valley Shinar. It is where the city of Babylon stay, uh, sits in the valley, in the, in the plain of Shinar. Uh, so when you see the word Shinar in the Bible, think Babylon. <laughs> All right. So these are the things I'm trying to help us get into because some of these words, and I've had people tell me, I kind of like reading some of these things because now after I've read the Bible two and three times, some of these words mean something. And I'm hoping that when we get done today, when you're reading through, you're going to go Shinar, Shinar. Oh, yeah, that was, that's where Babylon is so that you'll be able to f- remember this. You'll read about Magog and you'll know that Magog is that whole area up above the Caspian Sea. So that you'll go, okay, yes, it's that central, uh, south central part of Russia. Magog goes a little higher up than, than Magog. Uh, so we have all of these little things going on as we put this out there. And I'm, I'm hoping the map gives you something to focus on rather than just hearing words <laughs> and names as we go along. All right, Sam, next part. All right, then we get the sons of um, where where am I in on my list of Mizraim, and he goes in and he gets mostly starts with the Palestinian people, the Philistines, is the big name that you're going to recognize there, the Philistines, one that gives trouble to Israel for all their days, and is still giving them trouble in today's world because they're. the the Palestinians have taken that whole name from the the Philis, Philista. so we have that his sons in that area, and then we get to the Canaan area. We get to Canaan, and I put a big circle there because I didn't put any of the names of his people in there. But that's the whole circle there of the middle the Middle East. It's at war right now. Canaan settled the Promised Land, and his sons. Are that whole long list of the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergazites, the Hivites, the Arkites, the Shinnites, the Avarites, and the Zemites. Uh, those names that we say all the time when we're reading the book of Joshua and Judges. All right, So we have this problem going on that all of this is going on. And I just put a big circle in that area <laughs> because there's lots and lots of named people there. These are the people that got the curse on them when Ham saw his father naked. The people in that Middle East region. And they get bad enough that they are one of the earliest groups that get totally in a sinful lifestyle. When the children of Israel come in after being delivered from Egypt on the Exodus, God says, Deliver, uh, destroy every single resident of that area. The reason was that their sin was so awful. All right. And when we talk about sin, we think we have it bad in our day and age. They did not even recognize anything they were doing as evil. The abuses that they put on, the brutality they had on people, the sexual sins they committed on one another were so rampant that God says destroy everything, including the animals. And people go, why the animals? Well, we'll just say the word bestiality was practiced Horrendously by the, those people. They had fallen as far as you possibly could go and had polluted everything in their world. And God says, I'm tired of them. They've gone so far, we're going to destroy them. And Israel, you're going to be my tool to destroy them. So we want to be able to look at this. They had the curse upon them and they got bad. Why did Canaan get cursed? Probably because God knew where his children were going to go. And we talked last week how generation after generation tends to get worse with the when, when we're sinning when we're leading an example of sin. Just as I said, generation after generation can get more righteous when we're raising our children to follow God and then watch them stand you know start where we at a higher level and then our grandkids and great grandkids. Doesn't follow in a full pattern, but we see here in the, the children of Canaan a full pattern of leading into a terrible lifestyle, and they got really bad, and God judged them. Now, are they the worst ones that have ever lived out in this world? No, we're starting to get really bad again. We're starting to see places that get bad, and all through history, we see the same exact things. God raises up a nation. They walk away from God, and as soon as you walk away from God and stop following his standards, everything becomes what's right in your own eyes, and it keeps getting worse. Once we've... Take and let ourselves go from God's standards. We go, God. Your standards are just keeping me from having fun. I don't want to do them anymore. They're just once you let go of God's standards, you have nothing to keep you. It's like, who's going to say what's right and what's wrong? When the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that homosexuality was okay in America, immediately the lawsuit started hitting the the courts and are working their way up for polygamy. Uh, molesting of children, uh, animals, all everything started hitting the court because once you say uh, heterosexual uh, relationships or God ordained is not the only one, then where do you draw the line? And these things hit the court immediately and are working their way up. Many of them have been blown, shot down, but they're going to work up and eventually they're going to have to deal with it at the Supreme Court. If this one is okay, why isn't all these other things Okay and because they cut the, the grounds and they cut the anchor they have nothing to attach it to it'll just be opinion and once we end up making decisions based on opinion we're in trouble and we all know what that's like in our own life we go okay God in my case I think this is the best thing for me I know you said don't do it but God if you just knew all the things that are important to me you would know that it's okay And God says, well, I do know all the things that are important to you, and I know what's going to happen to you in the long run, follow my rules. And we break his rules, and then people will come to me and say, well, how do I get my life back together now that I've got children by four different people? And and now how do I support all my families, and how do I do what I'm going? I'm going, you're going to have a real hard time because you violated God's standard in the first place, but let's try to put together what you have to do. I and mean, it doesn't have to even be in that area. We can do it in anything that once we break, you know, it's said that, you know, once you tell that lie, why do you get caught in your lie? Because you forget the lie you told. <laughs> and your next thing, then somewhere down the road, you tell the truth or you tell a different lie and people go, hold it, that's not what you said last time. When we break our connection to God, everything will start to go wrong. And we want to be able to stay focused on him. When you feel tempted to not do what God says to do, remember somewhere down the line, you're going to pay heavily for what you just broke. And so we want to look at that. Okay, next one. Now we're looking at the children of Japheth. Japheth's family, or Shem, excuse me. (laughs) Shem's family, they end up in this whole area of Lud, Asher, Iram, Jaffa, uh, Afaraks, and Elam. They are the northern part of the Middle East, and they're going to keep going east. Their, their statement was not, go west, young man. It was, go east, young man. <laughs> that was where the wilds were for them. That was where it was uninhabited, and they moved east. Next one. All right. All the other sons take over in that whole Arabian area. This, when we look at this, this uh, part of it, the one where everything mixes is right there in Arabia. Why is it such a big deal in Arabia and the Middle East right now? Is because you've got the children of Ham and the children of Shem both working in that area, both causing problems. We have also the sin of Abraham when he takes Hagar to be his wife and he gives birth to Ishmael and Ishmael decides because I'm I've been rejected by my father he starts doing everything wrong but he is a Shemite Uh, but he starts doing everything wrong and goes against God and marries multiple women that have the wrong ways and he's worshiping the gods of their people and many of the Middle Eastern nations track their lineage to Ishmael or many of the other Hamites <laughs> but many of them tracked to Ishmael and and they have one major claim on the land and they go the land was promised to Abraham and the firstborn was supposed to get the, to get the 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 uh, inheritance so they claim the promised land is theirs because they were firstborn even though God rejected them because they were the son of works not of righteousness and so this is the big problem we look at the Middle East and we keep talking about wanting peace in the Middle East There will never be peace in the Middle East until Jesus comes and reigns in the millennial kingdom because it is not just nation to nation in there. It is family against family. And until the nations and the leaders of this world recognize it as a family dispute, they will never be solved. Things like the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know, in, in, from American American history. Battling forever so long that they forget why they're battling and to this day don't remember why they were fighting. But there was a family issue that kept them fighting. The Middle East is in that position and will always fight because it's a family issue until there's a powerful one to bring peace. Now the Antichrist will bring peace to that area for a period of time for about three, three and a half years, he'll bring peace to that land because he's pretending to be the Messiah. And then he will stand up in the temple and say, I am God and worship me. And the Jewish people will all of a sudden be aware that we have been tricked. This is not the Messiah and they will go into hiding. And then the Bible tells us that if God did not protect them, they would be wiped out. Because Satan's desire, and I've said this to, maybe not on Sunday mornings, but you know, Satan has always tried to wipe out the Israelite people. Why? Well, before Jesus came, it was because if he could kill them, he could keep the Messiah from being born. And if he could keep the Messiah from being born, he won. He proved God was a liar, and he goes, I have the world, and there there won't be a redeemer. After Jesus was born, he's tried to kill the Jews because they are all about the end times. When the church is taken out by the rapture and we go into the seven-year tribulation period and the millennial kingdom, it's all about Israel again. So if Satan can kill and destroy all the Israelites, he can say, see God, you, you, may, you may have got the Messiah born, but you, you were not truthful about the end times. So they have always been the target of Satan to be destroyed because of what they represent in scripture. They were the first one God poured his heart on and his life on. They were supposed to go out to the world. If you read the book of Leviticus, it's interesting to read the book of Leviticus. He goes, and this is what you're going to do. It's for you and for all people. And yet the Israelites said, okay, well, we've got our, God picked us. We're going to, everybody else, unless they become Jews, they can all go to hell. We don't care about them and they blocked off the temple they blocked off access to the worship they blocked off te- access to the sacrifice that God said this is for all people to participate in and then they rejected Jesus and they've been put on the shelf do you, you know don't get us wrong the Israel was put on a shelf when Jesus died and the church came into existence to minister to the Gentiles but the church did not replace Israel Israel is still going to be a the main character. When the tribulation comes, God is going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists to to speak to the world and everything becomes about Israel again. And during the Millennial Kingdom everything is about Israel again. Everything goes to Jerusalem. It is where Jesus will reign for the whole world in Jerusalem with the Israelites and the Jewish people being the main focus of that time frame. Then we end up going to the end and all this world is destroyed. The white throne judgment will happen and all, the, all those that don't know Jesus will go to hell and he'll create a new heaven and new earth which is all about Jesus. One family. Jews, Gentiles, and one human race. The most important thing about this section of the this, this study that we're doing about the table of nations and I want to make this very clear is that all of us are of one family. And we're suffering right now in this world through all kinds of race issues and everything, and none of that should be an issue at all. Race should never be an issue with people because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve at the very far back, and we're all descendants of Noah and his wife. We're all one family. Underneath the skin color, which is nothing but malinonin, (laughs) malinonin, and different amounts of it in our body, there's no difference. There really is no difference. And we need to get away from being able to see skin color, nationality. You know, those of you who have been around me enough, when, you, when, you, when I hear st- people tell, well, and this nationality group was, gonna go, stop. What does their nationality have to do with anything about the story? If it doesn't have anything to do with their story, I don't want to hear about it. Because nationality is not the problem there are good and bad people amongst every group and we need to be able to understand that underneath we are all of one blood we are human beings that Jesus died for and those human beings spread around the world yes there were certain groups the Shemites had the idea of one God they were following God a lot longer than most of the other groups they were monotheistic. They followed the God of the universe. Not the same way the Jews did with the sacrifices and all of that, but they followed the one God. The other groups, especially in Ham's family, went really far down into their depravity and got judged. Japheth and his family, well, they're not all that good either. If you, if you get into the, the religious history of those northern tribes, all of them are polytheistic, polytheistic tribes. They did not follow. Only one group out of the three stayed close to God. We need to keep this in mind. When we're dealing with one another, we're dealing with human beings that all need to be touched. You know, I'm, I hear all these things, you know, Black Lives Matter and all these other things that go on, and it's like, and I get in trouble because I go, all lives matter. And they go, you're missing the point. I go, no, I am making the, the real point. All lives matter because all lives have an eternal destination that needs to be dealt with. We cannot be saying one is more important than another or one's less important than another because all of us are equally important before God. Jesus died for everybody. And this is what this whole section's all about. It tells us that everybody all fanned out from one little point, the ark, and fanned out across the world we are equal. God's made this happen by the confusion of the languages in Babylon when we get to that in two weeks, next week, next week. We're going to be talking about the confusion of the languages and how God spread out the world. And yes, certain things happen by the spreading out of the world. We see different skin colors and everything because where we went happens to be good for the skin colors when you're in when you're in high high sun areas you're going to be healthier having dark skin if you're in you're further north you go the healthier you're going to be with light skin to get more sun so all these things happened and little mutations did happen over the years to make some differences in appearance but underneath there is no difference and this is important you know even if we don't even look at race we look at lifestyle how many people, if you're walking, uh, walking across town and all of a sudden you see 20 bikers coming into town, you know, have, a, have a, somewhat of an opinion to think? You know, we need to be careful. We don't want to be judging people until we get to know them. God will get us to raise up and talk to people. You know, he'll put us in places where we, he's going to say, I want you to talk to people that you don't even know. You know, I work out of the prison. You know the unit I work in right now is the sex offender unit. And people go, how can you do that? You know what? That unit's actually easier to be in than the other one where all the criminals are at. The guys that steal, kill, (laughs) and have attitudes. And usually most of them are pretty good in that prison, but, you know, they have attitudes. The guys over on the other side generally don't have the attitude that the other side do. They're easier to work with. You know, their crime by our standards is really awful. And yes, it's an awful crime. All crime is awful. But you know what? What do I see when I go on that unit? I see people. I see people that need Jesus. And I get to share with them every once in a while when they ask questions. I'm not a chaplain anymore, but they know that I was a chaplain. So they'll ask me Bible questions. They'll ask me questions about different things. They'll ask other questions that lead to Bible questions, because if anybody talks with me, you know I end up going to the Bible almost every, every conversation and always have. So we'll bring God into just about any conversation that we have outside of my teaching time. But what do I see when I go out there? I see people that need Jesus. When I see people that are deep in sin, I see people that need Jesus. And I want to reach out to them I may not be very good at reaching out to some people, but you know what? I want to reach out to them, and I will try in my stumbling, foolish ways sometimes to reach out to them. Planting seeds, watering seeds. We need to be able to look out and say, these are all children of Adam and Eve, and they need God. Why do they need God? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, which passes on to every single one of us every single human is born a sinner. Now we like to talk about these little babies being innocent and pure, but you know what? They're a sinner. Don't believe me? How long does it take your baby to cry when their selfish needs aren't being filled? I'm hungry. I want fed now. I, I have a wet diaper. I want changed now. And they're going to make sure you know their needs are important. Now. I'm not saying it's wrong that they do so but they are showing their selfishness and we try to teach them to not be as selfish and get by with in the regular world but selfishness and pride are what we are all dealing with for the rest of our life all sin is built around pride or selfishness I want what I want and I want it yesterday I don't even want it now I want it yesterday matter of fact I don't want it yesterday I want it last year God, how come you haven't given me what I want yet? And God's saying, it's not good for you. It's not the right time. All people that have lived on this world, except for Jesus, were born sinners. We all deserve punishment. There is really no innocent person that lives in this world. When people go, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm going, you're asking the wrong question. The real question is, why does good things happen to all of us bad people? It's the grace and mercy of God that anything ever happens good to us. It's his grace and mercy that put Jesus on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin and be accepted by God. That is the beauty of what it is, is God comes down and says, you all are terrible, you're all awful, and I know you can't get good, so I'm going to send my son to die for you. He died for us because we could not be good enough. Because good enough is perfect. And if any of you know somebody perfect, let me know because I'd like to question them and find out how unperfect they are. Now, there may be people we look at and say, well, they're pretty close to perfect. No, God's standard isn't pretty close to perfect. His standard is perfection. Which is why Jesus died on that cross so that we could go to him and accept his righteousness and be clothed in his righteousness so that when we stand before God he says ah there's my son there's my daughter come on in when the people stand at the white throne judgment what are they being judged for what have you done with Jesus there's only one question that God's gonna ask when we get to the end of this life what did you do with my son did you accept him in his sacrifice and get righteousness or did you reject him and when it's rejected they'll spend eternity in hell. And we're not going to talk about hell today. It's, we've done that in the past, but hell is a terrible, terrible place. There are guys I've talked to, I go, well, where are you going to spend your time? Well, I'm going to be in hell with my friends and they'll start laughing. I'm going, it's no laughing matter. Hell is not a party place. Hell is isolated cells. You will be by yourself suffering. You will not be taking mis- comfort in the others around you suffering. It will be solitary confinement for eternity. You know the worst thing that can happen to a prisoner is to put them in solitary confinement because there's nothing going on and we will we go crazy you know, this is part of the problem with this whole pandemic that we're running into and people being isolated at home they're starting to go crazy even those of us who like being by ourselves don't want to be so by ourselves that it's only us 24 7 365 days a year We want to have some interaction with people sometime. We like to be in control of it. We like to keep it minimized. But we like to keep some contact with people. The problem with what we're going through right now is it's a taste of what's going going to happen. People are being isolated. And they're they're starting to learn how much they need people. This is the problem with the churches talking about how good online worship is. Now, I'm glad we have online. I'm glad that we broadcast onto the radio. I'm glad that we post these on the Internet. But, you know, there is no substitution for getting together and meeting one with another and fellowshipping one with another and loving on one another and keeping one another up. And that is what's happening right now is the churches are embracing this whole idea of online worship, and I'm glad it's there. But I'm hearing people all the time saying, this is forever. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going there. We need to be meeting together for sake, not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much more as you see the day approaching, because we need each other's strength. Amen. We need the help of one another. You know, I don't know how many of you get on Facebook. There are so many people that have hundreds and thousands of friends on Facebook. And you ask them, what do you know about them? Well, I know their name. I know the stuff they post. But well, what do you know about them? I don't know. If we go to an online virtual church, that's what the church will be. Yeah, I know lots of names of of people in the church, but I don't know anything about them. Who do I call when I have a problem? I'm going to call my online friend? Doesn't work that way. When we need help, we need the body of Christ, and it is going to be important. And We're going to see a lot more pressure coming against us as time goes on about being together when we have the second wave of this hit and it's starting to hit already if you look at the numbers it's starting to hit for the first time in five months there has been more than seven million people sick at one time it's been between six and seven million people sick for about five months people get sick people get get well but we're having nations that are having seven thousand people sick per day the United States isn't anywhere close to that at the moment It's going to be the second wave. They're already talking about shutting everything down again. Be ready. This is Satan's move against people. He wants people isolated. Because if you isolate the people, you weaken the people. And note, I'm not saying this is government. I'm not saying that this is Satan behind the moves. And he's using governments to move to isolate people because it makes it easier to pick them off. Easier to take them out. The lion, when it attacks the herd, attacks the straggler that falls behind or breaks off from the crowd and kills the straggler. It doesn't try to kill in the middle of the herd. Satan is right now trying to separate people, make us isolated. We need to be ready for that. We need to be understanding the tactic that he's using against us and be able to move forward. We are one people. We are one body of Christ. And I don't care if it's here or anywhere else we are a body. We need Christians. Am I opposed to the online teachings? No, and you all know that I listen to online teaching all the time. I get fed a lot by online teaching. But I will not swap the online teaching for meeting with you all and talking with you all and and being able to hug everybody and all and pray with each other and know each other's needs. It's important that we get together and meet. And Satan is pushing hard. To make it not happen. We have governors in many cities that are not, le- uh, states that are not letting churches meet because of their animosity. And it's demonic. I'm not saying they are demonic, but I'm saying it's demonic behind them to keep the churches from meeting. But we want to be very careful. Be ready. The attacks are coming. The second wave comes, and we're going to be saying, they're going to be, we're going to be hearing about how everything is to be shut back down again. And it is coming. It's, it's building. We're going to see it come back. It was predicted it would, and it's going to. Because it is part of the battle to separate and keep everybody isolated. Don't let yourself be completely isolated, even if they make things happen. Don't let yourself be isolated from other Christians in conversations and talking and being loving to one another. Do not get so isolated that you forget about your brothers and sisters. It's going to be important. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your care. We ask you to guide and lead us in all that we do. Lord, help us as we go forward in these times that are tough right now. We're seeing attacks on the churches. We're seeing attacks on your people. Help us, strengthen us to stand strong. Lord, for those who don't know you, we ask that today they will make the decision to follow you. They will recognize that they are a sinner destined for hell and accept your sacrifice and that they will seek out a christian to share with them what they have done and we just thank you in jesus name amen listening friends do you know god not just know about him today is the day to decide to become his child god loves you and jesus came to die for your sins in romans 3 23 we are told for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god we all have sinned god says The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this?